Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Roost Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Pitcher. Today's guest we have on is Eric McMahon. He oversees coaches and sports science program at manager at the NSCA. Super excited to have him on. We previously met at actually a Sornex conference uh, during one of the lunches. We chatted it up. We got to discuss kind of more um, what goes behind the scenes of what he does. So really happy to be able to bring him on. Welcome, Eric. Sean, thanks for having me. Good to catch it up again. So like I start with every guest, can you please tell us who is Eric? What is your roots? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I uh, I am from Burlington, Vermont. As many know, the NSCA headquarters is in Colorado Springs. So I'm a long way from where I grew up. So I grew up in the Northeast. I played a lot of different sports in Vermont. You know, you have the uh, all the seasons. And so you can play a fall sport, a winter sport, and a spring sport and and keep things going. I, I then went to St. Lawrence University and played college football there. I was a bio major and a college football player on the offensive line. I was a little bigger back in the day. And uh, then I went on to Springfield College because at that time I was I had such a good weight room experience that I had the itch to pursue strength and conditioning. And that's a great school to be able to do that. So I pursued Springfield College and the strength and conditioning profession. Around that time, I joined the NSCA. And that really set things in motion for me to get into professional baseball, which was ultimately uh, where I ended up for um, over for 14 seasons and uh, did some international work and do some work with the combines as well. So MLB was the path I, I felt like wasn't just a good fit for me, but it was something that I felt like our field needed growth in that area. And so I pursued it because I felt like I'd have more opportunity where there was a, where there was that opportunity to grow with the industry there. And uh, that mindset kind of took me towards the role I have now at the NSCA overseeing coaching and sports science programs. And so what that really means is an in-house practitioner that works across multiple departments that we have, uh, whether it's our events, whether it's our education, uh, just to be able to enhance professional development opportunities for coaches and professionals in the field. Uh, but who am I at my core other than my career? You know, I, I'm a father of four, uh, have an amazing family out here. Uh, my wife, Meredith, we've, uh, We've been all over the country together through professional baseball and, and now the NSCA. And so uh, that's me, man. So St. Lawrence, is that in New York or near New York? Yeah, upstate. Yeah, upstate New York, pretty close to the Canadian border. It's funny you said this. So I played uh, Division three football at Buffalo State. So I believe like we played, obviously, our, our time difference is a little bit different, but I remember playing St. Lawrence. So as soon as you said it, I popped in my head. I was like, yeah, we definitely played those guys at one point in time. Yeah. Um, I don't think it was when I was there, but yeah. No, we, definitely uh, not. <laughs> yeah. But I remember those. Uh, I remember that school and uh, there's a lot of small colleges and so in, in some decent sized colleges in New York state. So there's, there's some pretty competitive football and different sports in the uh, Liberty league. I think it's called now and some of the different yep. leagues that are up that way. Yeah. I think we were in the empire eight, I believe it was called at the time. And I don't know if that's just been yeah. now all the teams just kind of separated and went out to these other leagues. And it just seems like that's what's happening in with football in general. Now you see, like I just saw like Oregon and Washington are going to be trying to jump ship to like the, the big 10 or something like that. 
it's getting pretty great. Yeah. And, and those ones, you hear about those on ESPN. You don't really hear about the Empire right? in the Liberty League on uh, on ESPN. So mm-hmm. it, it's a little harder to keep track of at the D3 level. Yeah, for sure. So could you explain to the audience? I mean, obviously, we have some strength and conditionings that listen to this as well, but we have a lot of dietitians and other practitioners. Like, what is the NSCA? And is is most of their reason for being is to educate, to enhance professionals? Can you just kind of give us a brief background on what they do specifically? Absolutely. So the NSCA, the National Strength and Conditioning Association, uh, it was founded in 1978 at basically the University of Nebraska was the first collegiate program to hire a full-time dedicated strength and conditioning coach. And there's a little bit of uh, lore and some stories associated with that. It's just how this field came about. Uh, So we know our roots in that way that we came from basically the sport coaching profession that branched off into a need for dedicated strength and conditioning professionals. I think we've seen that in a lot of these other areas. We're seeing it in the dietitian space now with major league teams hiring RDs and other sports. We're seeing high performance teams grow to include different types of professionals. Well, strength and conditioning was that at one time. I'd like to think that strength and conditioning is more of an expectation now when you're in a high level competitive team or organization. Uh, And that is a lot because of what the NSCA has done. So the NSCA isn't just strength and conditioning coaches. We have five certification programs from personal training to strength and conditioning, uh, special populations, and sports science. So we our newest credential is our certified performance and sports scientist credential. Uh, We have a strong academic community. And what I like to say about our education is the NSCA is in in existence just to promote or sell certifications. We provide the foundational education so that this profession can exist. So we have academic journals, multiple academic journals. Uh, We have poster presentations and other academic activities at our conferences and events to get more information and knowledge within the field. And that turns into our textbooks, which we've had for a number of years now. And, uh, we're actually working similar to athletic training and these other fields. We're working towards uh, academic accreditation in 2030. So currently we have uh, 12 accredited schools through our CASCI accrediting body, uh, which, as you may know, this is a this is a long process to go this way. So we have accredited certifications, and it's going to get to the point that to become a certified strength and conditioning specialist, you need to go to a CASCI accredited school to get the a consistent education so that we are all a little bit, we're, we're elevating the floor of our profession just one notch higher so that we can better serve our athletes, better serve our institutions. And another area the NSCA really does a lot in this space is in promoting athlete safety, uh, specifically related to conditioning, strength and conditioning activities, not just safety in the weight room, but uh, we've had a pretty hot summer coming back from periods of prolonged inactivity, especially during the heat. 
So we have a lot of the same concerns as many of the other governing organizations for athletic training, physical therapy, dietitians, and so uh, that's that's NSCA in a snapshot. There's there's a lot that we do, and it's a it's pretty rewarding to be uh, at the at you know at the headquarters and working on so, so many big projects. Yeah, I think that's great. I mean, with all the practitioners having a standard, whether it's a certification, whether it's a process. Um, you know, just so that way, all of the different organizations and schools or professional settings, tactical, whatever it is, they all know, at least you're going through an academic setting, you have to get that hands-on experience as well first, then you're going to get your credential, at least providing you obviously a stepping stone and a baseline to be able to jump off of versus, hey, I have a sociology degree, I got my CSCS, so now like I'm certified to train. Um, and I know, like you said, it's been a long time coming to get to that point and probably definitely very challenging and, and a lot of communication organization to, to get to that as well. Uh, and dietetics, I, they're doing something very similar where now they're expanding where you have to have your master's, you know, like PT has to have um, after a doctorate. So I think more of these type of uh, medical or medical or sports medicine type of positions are now requiring greater education and, and a higher level of experience, you know, not only obviously in the classroom, but also having the hands-on experience. And as you know, as well, <laughs> a lot of times, like until you get some of those internships, fellowships, graduate assistant positions, where you can actually get your hands dirty and figure out how to actually apply the information from a book into real time. Um, those kind of steps are definitely needed to get to those points. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you mentioned a lot of those fields. And when I look at other organizations that have gone through this type of a, accreditation in such a the the overhaul of it's really a different thought process of how your organization exists. But when I go on different websites and I see the activities that these organizations are taking on today after accreditation, the role of these organizations really takes on an advocacy an advocacy look. So. I see, I see the APTA doing great work in advocacy for their profession. And obviously in the medical space, that government advocacy is very important to establish, uh, to establish these as credible professions within the medical space. I think it's really interesting when you when you're looking at the the fitness space or the exercise space, there's you sort of straddle that line between uh, being complementary to healthcare, but also preventative medicine and preventative aspects that maybe aren't, uh, that aren't medicine that are just proactive performance enhancing elements. And there it's a, it's a different cell. It's a different process to think about that. But I think that's one real positive area where we're positioned that our professionals can be on the forefront of, maybe the way medicine's headed, maybe the way all of these industries are headed. I think it's really proactive and we, it's almost the opposite. We've seen dietetics probably exists first in the medical space and now working its way into performance and sport. And uh, we're finding some avenues to go the opposite way. Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned that specifically, like when you talked about Nebraska earlier, I thought, oh, first strength conditioning. Well, Dave Ellis was there. He started the first training table. And then you also mentioned yeah. uh, MLB. Obviously, he did a lot of work in the MLB to obviously push to get more dietitians there. So, yeah, we I think each kind of sector of practitioners definitely has had 
those pioneers or people in the field that are kind of helping to to push the positions forward and also making organizations aware of of the value of having these individuals on their team and how that's going to essentially help you at the end of the day, win games, keep healthy, reduce illness, um, reduce risk of, of long-term issues that could possibly happen. And you mentioned enhancement. I think a lot of teams, everyone's trying to find that extra 1%. So it's getting to the point now where it's like nutrition, strength, mental is becoming a staple. Obviously your sports medicine team, athletic training physicians, like these are kind of your core nucleus, but they're even almost looking beyond that now, you know, here, here where I work, we're adding financial literacy, um, extra community work, you know, all, all different things that probably athletes are going to be engaged in, or might have to be engaged in as they move through those different levels. Um, also different things that are life skills that no matter what age you are, you're going to probably have to do them for the rest of your life, especially the financial literacy part. So how can we surround our athletes with all these tools to hopefully put them in the best position for, if they're at high school level, if they're at the pro level or, or beyond when they get done being an athlete. Yeah. Those are, those are the things that really challenge us too, because there's, there's educational things that we all know connect to our individual disciplines. So if it's a hypertrophy or periodization topic, that's, that's what we talk about as strength and conditioning coaches. But when you talk about financial literacy or life skills or, I mean, we talk about communication so broadly a lot of times nowadays. What are the actual communication skills we're trying to get to that are going to enhance our performance uh, professionally? You know, I think that really challenges us as an organization to know what our role is in that. You know, as a certifying body, mm-hmm. we provide opportunities for people to get jobs. As an education provider, we provide opportunities for our constituents to maintain their credentials and stay certified and being accredited. Those have to be within certain scope of practice, but the professional development side really does. It gets pretty big when you start looking at all these other life skill elements that we do that with our athletes. I mean, I I know uh, your background in nutrition. I think a great example is you're not just, providing food for the clubhouse or the the or snacks for the weight room you're bringing athletes into the kitchen so that when they go back to their apartment they actually know how to make a decent meal for themselves when they get up in the morning before they get to the ballpark or before they get to the complex these proactive processes uh when they go out beyond beyond our scope that's what really challenges us and i, I think it's it's fun to tackle those things from the NSCA, but it is, it's a good example of how broad we try to be. And, uh, it, and it's a lot of work to do it, but I I enjoy it. Yeah. I try to find a way what's, what's the athletes. Why, you know, when it comes down to like nutrition, you know, and I try to tell them as well, like you can't stop hydrating, you can't stop sleeping, you can't stop eating. And if you look at those three things and you look at how much time you spend doing those three things, you know, it could be anywhere between 40 to 50% of your day. And, you know, if you're not getting eight hours of sleep, you're not eating your three meals, three snacks, and you're not hydrating all throughout the day. Like I guarantee you, whether you think it or not, like it's going to be a, have a direct impact on your performance, your recovery, your fueling, how you mentally and physically feel. Um, and so that's kind of the tool, like we're, especially with recruiting and scouting. And when I talk to these athletes to try to really hit home, like 
this is how important this is and you can't stop doing it. And it's a skill that's not going to only help you now, but it's going to help you the rest of your career, depending on the level that you go. And it's going to help you after the fact, right? With your own family, with your own children. So when you can connect um, from that standpoint in the acute sense, and then also the chronic like long-term sense for these athletes and these parents, um, it has definitely helped from a buy-in perspective. And then also being able to show that to, our staff as well and how that's making an impact. So that was one point I wanted to bring up and ask you about. Obviously you oversee the sports science program. Um, I think the more we collect data, the more we're able to apply that and we're more that we're able to disseminate that in a quick and easy sense to our staff, our players, and depending on what position you're in, you know, in our sense, I work with a lot of high school athletes. So a lot of that has to get communicated to parents. Um, and we can tell them where their progress is now versus having to wait two or three months or just collect data to collect data, but then not provide them information after that point um, has made a huge difference in getting them to buy in a little bit more. So could you kind of explain what, where are we moving in that direction with sports science and, and what was the purpose in creating that certification you guys have? Yeah. So I, I touched on our academic community and I think it, I think it's interesting because, you know, we're named the National Strength and Conditioning Association. So you'd think it would just be strength and conditioning coaches. But when I when I see our evolution and I see the research that we're accountable for and responsible for understanding, uh, I see strength and conditioning as a direct application of sports science. Obviously, it's more specific to a weight room setting, but we're seeing strength and conditioning coaches out on the practice field. We're seeing them managing wearables and different technologies and taking on different roles than maybe we were ever intended to take on within a team setting. And so there are many types of sports scientists uh, that come through, whether I talked a lot about strength and conditioning, uh, but I even consider you know, dietitians and athletic trainers, we're all applied sports scientists as practitioners in our own way. And when you think of it that way, from an NSCA, uh, strength and conditioning coaches are sports scientists, just not all sports scientists are strength and conditioning coaches. Mm -hmm. So I want to make sure that everyone who sees this program knows this isn't just an upskill for our strength and conditioning community. This is us opening our community to a broad range of researchers and other disciplines that maybe haven't seen appeal within the NSCA community that are very performance-driven still. Uh, I had an intern last semester who was a biomedical engineering student interested in sport biomechanics you wouldn't necessarily see that connection between a strength and conditioning organization and biomedical engineering or mechanical engineering or robotics or any of these different things. But in different areas of sport, there are more than ever before with the amount of access we have to new technologies, uh, we're getting exposed to that. And I know like myself and other we're hungry for that information as professionals. So the NSCA wants to provide resources and tools to be able to do that. Our method of doing that is to create a certification program and supporting educational materials to go along with that. And one thing I think it does really well for us is that it, when you're talking about such a broad community of sports scientists, it provides a center point that 
if you're coming from the research side, uh, you can upskill in your practitioner skills. You, If you're coming from the technology or uh, the technology side or analyst or mathematics side, you, you may just need to learn more about sport and how to apply your knowledge and information to sport. So you're going to gain a lot from the researchers and the practitioners who are already there. But I know a lot of our community, we can learn a lot from the analytics and technology folks, and we're we're craving that information too. So you'll really see that it's it's sort of a triangle approach where you have researchers, you have practitioners, and then you have more of the technical skill sets uh, on the points. And, and it all comes together, and we try to provide that center point. Uh, one thing that's great is I think the field is already there in terms of we have all these disciplines already. We have these professionals and practitioners. And I think we can both speak to, you know, even with dietitians and strength and conditioning coaches, learning to work together effectively and well in the leadership of our organizations to reflect, call it a, the high performance model or, or a performance, you know, a cross-functional approach of our performance teams. Uh, that's where we're at now is, we want to make sure we're all rowing in the same direction. We're all communicating effectively and most effectively with the athlete uh, and in turn with each other so that it's not uh, a siloed approach as, as we, we talk about a lot. So that's the spirit of the NSCA sports science program. And uh, I will, I'll give a little plug for our textbook, Duncan French and Lorena Torres Ronda did a great job pulling that information together. So I always tell, even if you don't think you're a sports scientist or you don't think you're going to take a credential exam for becoming a sports scientist, the book is valuable for everybody who works in and around sport or tactical performance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you could always still take something out of anything, right? So this textbook, let's say you're not going to get this certain, you get the textbook in general, and you just want to know more about the broad spectrum of that specifically and what you could take and apply that to your field. Like you can go that route. I mean, um, also like our athletic trainer, for example, I know he's, I think going to go for your cert um, because our athletic trainers do a lot with Norboard, Vald, different measurements um, that we do for our assessments. And he wants to know more how to apply that, how to extrapolate it. How can we explain that in more of an easier sense to our coaches and players um, to get the, the point across of how important that is and why we do it. Um, and just obviously with, with, with those two different kind of, uh, categories, being able to explain that to them in a very quick and simple and easy way is important. Um, cause they're not going to really be able to understand a lot of the jargon a lot of times. So it's gotta be efficient to be able to disseminate that. Um, and I like what you said there, obviously not being in your silos. I think at the end of the day, we all overlap in a sense, right? Practice and strength and conditioning. The athlete's not going to really be able to train hundred percent if they're not fueling appropriately before and afterwards. Right. If it comes to athletic training and PT, we're trying to obviously fuel them appropriately and recover them appropriately for nutrition. So that way we could try to reduce injuries and reduce illness. Um, obviously, coaches goal is to win games and keep them on the court. So, you know, like you said, a lot of times it's, it's just how are we all showing value amongst each other within our high performance group? And then how can we show that value outside onto the court to the coaches um, and, and show them how each piece of that puzzle is contributing to you having your players be available because the name of the game is availability. And if your athletes are able to stay available and they're high talented group and they're able to win games, 
and then you're able to be successful, then hopefully you can keep that coaching staff, you can keep that practitioner and high performance group together, keep continuously being successful. Yeah, no, I'm with you, man. I, I think I get excited thinking about just how much growth we've seen. And that's sort of the mentality I take. I know there's a lot of folks that worked at the NSCA long before me, uh, been members of the NSCA before me. And so I don't, I'm definitely not the first generation getting a crack at this. I think that we, our generation of professionals, we're, we're taking the field forward again so that when the next gen takes over, it's, it's better than, than we have it now. Mm -hmm. I think that's the, you know, we have a great give back mentality in, in all of our professions. We care so much about it, but a lot of what we do is in giving our athletes and our teams, we want to work in positive work environments and we're finding new ways to do that with different specialty skill sets. And we're, I think we're, there's probably no secret perfect formula out there of how it all comes together. There's so many personality factors, but I, I do like to think that the work we're doing now is putting us in a better place that positions all of our fields uh, more evenly or more uh, more accepted in a positive way so that the, I mean, you talk about return to play or athletes that work heavily with a dietitian on maybe some of these resources. Awesome. Yeah. Um, one thing I really wanted to ask you is, is how does the NSCA incorporate people, whether it's in a conference, whether it's webinars that are other practitioners from other fields? Um, I was just recently at our CPSDA conference um, and the USC strength coach there, I think it was Benny Wiley. And I think Rachel Suba did like a co-presentation together um, to show how they collaborate, how they work together and how that essentially affects the players. Um, what do you, what have you guys currently done or where, where are you guys shifting towards um, to possibly even have a similar collaboration for, for future education opportunities for your field. Yeah. I mean, we, we definitely try to check all the boxes of different practitioner skill sets. And for example, there's, there's a lot of nutrition info out there that probably isn't great. And we want to make sure that if someone is delivering nutrition info, that they are an RD or maybe a PhD researcher in the area of sports nutrition. So we have certain standards for different pra practitioner fields that work with us. Uh, so you'll see athletic trainers, physical therapists, chiropractors, physicians, uh, all, all, every field will be represented at an NSCA event. And depending on the type of event, uh, it'll be weighted a little bit differently. Yeah. With, especially with social media nowadays, it's, it's good to start to see some of the practitioners start to get on that front as well. Um, just because there is a ton of misinformation across the board. And I know for a lot of people, we're not the most tech savvy. <laughs> so uh, it's going to take some time. I mean, even my new hire that I just hired, she knows a lot more than me. So she's kind of kind of getting me up to speed to be able to start preventing a lot more information in those formats, just because that's how athletes are starting to view it more. They're on their phones or on social platforms. You know, that's where they receive a majority of the information if it's not face to face. Um, so I think that's another big opportunity for us to, to be able to get some information out there that are kind of quick little hits where it's, you know, 30, 60 seconds, we can try to help some of these 
um, this myth, some of these myths that are out there are these people that have millions of views and they're just trying to obviously get views to get views versus actually put out quality content. Yeah. Our newest channel that we're really trying to elevate is uh, NSCA TV. That's a website. So it's NSCA.TV, but it's also an app that you can download and NSCA members get full access to it. So if you want to check out some different content that we have, go to that site because it uh, it really does give you a broad look at all the things the NSCA offers. And so uh, that, you know, just on your point of accessibility of information, this was this was really born out of, of COVID-19 when we <laughs> needed more channels to access our constituents and communicate effectively and share education. So uh, NSCA TV uh, is exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, I think everyone at that point was kind of scrambling, like we can't see in person. So how do we get everything on virtual? <laughs> I, I always joke with the people like I feel bad for kids nowadays when they have to go to school because we used to get snow days. And nowadays, like it doesn't matter if it's snowing out, there's bad weather or not. They could still put it on your computer. You still got to do the work. You don't get to enjoy those days anymore. <laughs> I know. I know. It's a, it's a different world now. We actually just had our first day back at school uh, for my kids and uh it's it, you know i i do feel like we're in a better place though you know in terms of the way we're educating our professionals our kids today you know i see it in the strength and conditioning field we're more analytical minded as coaches than we've ever been before maybe you can say that about your field as well i, I think that's really positive we're we're great and we get access to so much information, which means we need to be better at filtering and making positive sense of that information. And that's just something I see in the the next gen that that'll take over from us. Yeah, it's not just chalkboard or projectors anymore. <laughs> it's a little bit beyond that. Um, you that's know, awesome. we're, we're, we're winding down here. Could you could you briefly give us a little bit of information on, you know, what is it like being a strength coach? in major league baseball. You know, I think I've also seen you, you've been part of now like the MLB combine testing, which I, I think is relatively new in comparison to other sports. Yeah. So uh, yeah, the combines have really uh, started to ramp up with involvement from strength and conditioning professionals. Sometimes they were in all the sports, sometimes they were very scouting focused, which they need to be from a skill standpoint, but from a performance standpoint, strength and conditioning coaches are adding a lot of value to these. Now we see it in the NHL. We see it in the NFL. That's a pretty well-known combine. Uh, so it is, I mean, uh, speak volumes about the group at major league baseball and the, the homework they did on building a, a testing protocol for a sport that let's be honest is challenging to connect strength and conditioning performance to on-field performance. There's a lot of skill elements to baseball that that need to be accounted for and sometimes take more of that scouting eye to do that. So uh yeah, it's been in effect now for three years. The MLB combine steady improvements along the way. And yeah, I don't I don't see it uh, taking a, a step backwards at this point. It's in a really good place. Working in professional baseball uh, as kind of a bridge, there were early years you would have never had opportunity to do anything with scouting department. But I remember one day, I think I, in, I was in double A 
I got a call uh, from our one of our assistant general managers. Hey, we're going to uh, we need a strength and conditioning coach at one of our pre-scouting uh, workouts before the draft. And so I flew up to Chicago to set up lasers and basically add a little bit more objectivity to their assessments. And that was just one day away from the team. So that's sort of, you know, you started to see these things happen and now you have a full-blown MLB combine. It's, uh, it's exciting, but yeah, working in professional baseball has, it's come a long way starting in the minor leagues all the way up to the major leagues. I got to see a lot of different ways of how things can work from being just me and one athletic trainer out on a, uh, out a Legion field in Helena, Montana, making the most of it with these <laughs> professional athletes fresh out of the draft to, uh, being at the major league level where we have multiple staff in every role and everybody has a very focused role on the staff. Uh, it, it's a lot, uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of growth that happens in professional baseball and development, uh, both for players, but also for staff. And I think, uh, you know, I consider it to be one of the best player development pipelines or, or systems that exists in the world. When you think of 200 to 300 players progressing through that system all at once and the collaboration that has to happen with affiliates all over the country. So I've always thought it was such a, you know, such a cool thing to be part of that and to be able to see the progression of players throughout the system. And, and I think that's what really makes working in professional sports, a sport like baseball special with the minor leagues and all the sports are in a little different places with how deep their, their developmental depth goes. But, uh, but I love that. I love the developmental aspect of strength and conditioning and how that contributes and, that's what got me into the profession. And so that's really what I loved about it at the professional level. Yeah, I think it's really rewarding when you can see him move the levels. Like, for example, you know, the last place I was at, you know, I had a kid 15, 16 years old and not to see them in college and, you know, sophomore, junior years. And they're having the opportunities where they could possibly win awards. They could get, you know, get drafted. You're like, you know, they might not remember me or. You know, I may have had a very small piece in their life, but it's just great to see like, hey, I had two or three years with this person. It looks like they're doing an amazing job at the next stage of the round college. And, you know, now they're going to get the chance to go pro. It's just like that's that's an awesome feeling to just know that you had a small impact in their life at that time. Um, and I like what you said there, too. You know, kind of we have a seat at the table a lot in a lot more senses in a lot of these sports. You know, the fact that we can talk to scouting and recruiting. And, you know, those type of staff want us to be involved in that process with the parents, with the athletes, um, with, with possibly having a collective of a certain amount of data that may actually now or currently is making an impact on their decisions on when they draft players. Where before it's like, hey, let me just go to the ballpark and let me just, this guy throws a 90 mile per hour fastball. Yeah, we'll figure out the rest and develop them later. Like he looks good where it's like, now here's all these different data points from nutrition, strength and combine and whatever else maybe even a mental staff and well I, we feel like this guy's more prepared and he's going to be a better fit for our team based off of this this and this and it checks all of our boxes so it's it's really great to see that we're shifting and moving towards that direction it, it gives a great starting point too for training i think that's very important to think about it you know as coaches 
you get a new player, you, you may be starting from scratch, but they could have four or five years of great nutrition or training under their belt. And you wouldn't know that unless you knew some of those developmental points. Well, Eric, time's winding down. Really appreciate you coming on. I think people will get great insight on what NSCA does. Um, obviously, we talked a lot about collaboration here, so I can definitely see people um, knowing that that's an important factor that they definitely need to bring to their programs and definitely have present. But really appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Sean. Appreciate it. Bye.